Just a couple things, especially those of you that were unable to be uh, here with us uh, this morning, earlier this morning for the uh, Sunday school hour. Uh, just a couple things. And so, all right, so Timothy, Luke, uh, Elijah, I need your guys' help to dish out. If you did not get one of these promo packs here, go ahead and stick, uh, stick up your hand as well as make sure you get one of our newest editions. This is our, our, our fall edition. Uh, the spring edition is going to be coming out here in the next month or so. And so feel free to go ahead and pop up your hand and grab one of both of these uh, here. And so also, B- Bethany... Go ahead and grab this right here. If you do not receive, uh, if you're not on our mailing list as far as our all aboard letter or as far as TCM's list, as far as any of our uh, missionary prayer letters, as far in particular as far as our teams uh, that, that I was sharing about this morning that serve in Southeast Asia as well as East Africa. Uh, and so they're indicated on, on there, or you can just put you know, all of them, and you'll, you'll receive our magazine as well as our missionary uh, prayer letter, because my family and I, we're actually transitioning to raising uh, missionary support uh, ourselves right now, and so we certainly covet your prayers. Uh, and so take note of the variety of things that you have in that promo pack. There's just a full world prayer map, uh, our latest all aboard prayer letter. It was actually from last fall. And so there's even a TCM bumper sticker, a pen, and a variety of things, even my phone number on there. If, uh, if you, uh, you know, are interested on uh, you know, going to our Southeast Asia Grace Conference in Cebu City, Philippines this spring, if you'd like more information about that and just uh, point you to this, there's an ad on the back of the International Harvest here and love to speak with you more about that if you're interested in going over for that event and perhaps coordinating, doing some ministry amongst our five, 600 Grace churches uh, while we're there and everything. And so, uh, and also, like I said, if you can recite a passage of scripture, Psalm 96, 2 and 4, I'll get you a free shirt. Uh, otherwise, I, like I said, I can't give them all away, and there's more in our ministry display in the side room here. Uh, also, uh, just as we transition to get into the word here, uh, I just want to call your attention to, okay, ladies, can you need some uh, helpers here. Make sure to grab one of these these sermon note sheets. This is not a fill-in-the-blank type of situation, uh, and maybe uh, you'll look at this and just like, whoa, is he going to be preaching for like two hours? Uh, hey, no worries. No worries. I know the food will be hot here in <laughs> not too long, if not already. Uh, but listen, this right here, this is for your benefit, your edification, to help you follow along during the sermon, but also this is, this is I understand that there is more that we're going to be able to get to this morning uh, than time allows. And so this is, uh, this is basically my general sermon outline. There's a whole lot of stuff here, but this is to help prompt your heart and your mind to stay on track with you as we get motoring here. And so pray this is an encouragement uh, to you. And even perhaps you can share that with, with friends uh, as well. So anyway, with all that being said, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and as you're doing so, let me share this with you. And we will not be silenced, responding courageously to our culture's assault on Christianity. Dr. Erwin Lutzer of Chicago's Moody Memorial Church, he speaks the urgency of what God has called us to. He explains that Christians must be resolved to be gospel-driven in our life and witness. And it's important to understand that apostasy in the church is rife, as he points out how many Christian millennials have chosen to devote themselves to the gospel of social justice, as he says, at the expense of biblical evangelism. 
He says this, he says, according to Barna Group, many Christian millennials are unsure about the actual practice of evangelism. About almost half, 47%, agree, at least somewhat, that it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with others of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. They also somewhat agree that if someone disagrees with you, they're judging you. And I might add that in the responses, the most oft-quoted verse, Luther says, verse of the Bible, is, perhaps you guessed it, Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. To believe that Christ is the only way to the Father is regarded as bigotry, and belief in hell is viewed as a regression to medieval notions of primitive and cruel judgmentalism. God is seen as so tolerant that he extends grace even to people who don't think they have sinned enough to need it. Jonathan Edwards' classic message, he says, sinners in the hands of an angry God might today be rewarded as God in the hands of angry sinners. This is a tragic loss. If we lose our passion for making the gospel known, Luther says, if we abandon the biblical teaching about heaven and hell and Christ is the only way, not a way, the only way. He's not a truth or your truth, like Oprah says. He is the truth and the life. There's nobody like Jesus Christ. If we work to make life better in this world and ignore the reality of the life to come, we are sacrificing the eternal on the altar of the temporal. We are trading heaven for earth and eternity for time. We are forgetting that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and that our God is a consuming fire, like it says in Hebrews. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, certainly by now, you're there. And so I invite you, let's stand together as we read the Word of God. I invite you to follow along together in your Bibles as I read aloud from mine, from the, reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Watch this. Here the Apostle Paul, writing by divine inspiration, God the Holy Spirit, to the church in ancient Corinth, and every one of us as members of the church, the body of Christ, living today in the dispensation of grace. Look at this, in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf. That you may have an answer for those who boast in ignorance. And if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, in verse 14. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the reading thereof. And may he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen? You may be seated. Now listen, always remember and never forget that when we come to the word of God, it's very easy for every one of us to relegate the historical narratives of scripture to a galaxy far away long, long time ago. Are you with me? All right, or in or in, in Narnia or Middle Earth or basically some type of you know otherworldly never never land. And listen, the Word of God. Listen, we enjoy those cool stories and everything, but listen, always listen. Remember that the Word of God doesn't begin with once upon a time. All right, you with me on this? And it doesn't end with and they lived happily ever after. Listen, those are cool stories, but that's not real. The Word of God is real. And the word of God begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the reason why we're so prone to think that way is because of what is, has happened to our culture. It because, it's largely the human condition, but, but increasingly because of the gathering storm and mounting forces of secularism in our culture that have injected massive amounts of secularization in the culture. I mean, and listen, every one of us are susceptible to this because it's really the, the air we breathe. It's because we're immersed in this culture, dear ones. It's, it's because of secular education, institutionalized education. I mean, public schools, state universities, the news media, you name it. We, 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 we live in the midst of this context. And everything, and so the heart of it is incumbent upon every one of us to demolish strongholds, to take heed to ourselves, and to take every thought captive to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ by understanding what we believe, why we believe it, and know how to defend the exclusive truth claims of biblical Christianity in the midst of a culture that is increasingly hostile to the truth in biblical Christianity. And so, having all that, dear ones, it's exciting being. Christian for such a time as this. Because when we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he is writing to a group of people who lived in a cosmopolitan city known as Corinth. It's in southern Greece. And, and it's, it's still there, really. And so it's southern Greece. And it was a dual seaport on a narrow strip of land known as called what we call, as far as in geography, an isthmus. And it was the site of the the Isthmian game, second in popularity to the ancient uh, Olympiad. And so what that means is that you have, you have a dual seaport and you have athletic uh, contests and culture, all condensed. You have people from all over the Mediterranean world. You got just them, you know, hawking their wares and doing business and doing their, doing their thing and everything. And you have a tremendous amount of darkness, depravity by virtue of people being present there and corruption in this urban population center, not altogether different from our modern context, is it? And so it was a prime time opportunity 
a ripe opportunity for the light of the gospel to infiltrate the pagan darkness of that great gospel church to be established there, and hence the books of First and Second Corinthians. And these, these books were written by Apostle Paul as divine correctives for the stuff that was out of whack in the churches there, and so and hence him laying the smack down. And so in this text right here, Corinthians 5, this is really the first of our two-tier commission of grace, which the risen Lord Jesus Christ entrusted to and through Apostle Paul into every one of us. And so this twofold commission of grace, first off, this ministry of reconciliation, but also where we have a responsibility to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Because how does God count people? First Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4. It says this, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So how does God count people? Just like you and I do. One, two, three, four. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You follow me on that? And so God desires everyone, men, women, boys, and girls among all nations worldwide, to be saved by grace through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, and I pray that every one of you are saved this morning, that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior by believing that he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. And but also, once you're saved, God desires for to come to a knowledge of the truth. And listen, coming to a knowledge of the truth is not merely understanding the word rightly divided as far as merely understanding the Bible dispensationally. Listen, that's the key that unlocks the sacred scriptures so that we can know Jesus Christ, the heart of the gospel of grace, so that we can know God and live to the praise of his glory with heart, fire, zeal, and passion. And that was Paul's heart. Watch this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. Look what he says here. By the divine inspiration of God the Holy Spirit in verse 11. So if we're going to be faithful to the grace commission of Christ, it begins with verse 11. By reverencing the awesome terror of God's holiness. Because watch this. Look at it says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We're talking about awe and reverence for almighty God. There's a documentary called the American Gospel. Very well done. I would commend it to you. Check it out. You can check out the, you know, the YouTube trailer online and everything. And American Gospel, particularly Christ Crucified, and the other ones are, you know, are, are good too, you know, although I haven't seen them. So just, <laughs> just take it out of a grain of salt. But the trailer, the narrator he says in there, he says, I'm concerned that many American Christians do not know who God is. And then Alistair Begg, you know, just with a Scottish brogue, you know, he, he's one of the pastors that, you know, involved in that documentary. He says, he says, the Bible is so helpful to us. That's not a really good Scottish brogue, but, <laughs> but anyway, bear with me. He says, the Bible's so helpful to us if we would just read it. Listen, dear ones, when we read the entirety of the word of God, especially the ancient Hebrew prophets, I'm thinking Isaiah, you with me? When you look at Isaiah chapter 6, and, we, and he receives this, this, this ecstatic vision of the king, the Lord of hosts, high and lifted up the, in the midst of a national crisis situation uh, in the southern kingdom of Judah, Uzziah, you usurped the jurisdictional authority of family, church, and state. The Lord struck him a leper. 
and he eventually died, and it was like, who's, what's going So God gave Isaiah a fresh vision of the vertical reality of sovereign majesty. The Lord was high and lifted up. He's seated on the throne. He's not pacing the floor, wringing his hands, and, and just thinking, whoa, what are we going to do next? No, he's got this. And we see these angelic, burning, seraphim-like creatures cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah's response there is, Woe is me. He curses himself. He says, For I am undone. Unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah chapter 6. And so I share all that with you this morning because just like Apostle Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Dear ones, payday someday is reality. Yes, God is love, he is merciful, and he is kind to sinners, but he is also holy, righteous, and just, dear ones. He reigns in majesty supreme as king of kings and lord of lords. And far too many American Christians have a far too low understanding of who God is. And incidentally, you know what happens? When we have a low view of God, like Ed W. Tozer famously said years ago, the most important thing about us is what comes into our mind when we think about God. As a result of having a low view of God, what do you think that how that translates into our view of Scripture. Oh, did God really say, don't eat from that tree? A low view of God directly translates into a low view of Scripture because a God who doesn't, who he is who reigns in majesty supreme as from everlasting to everlasting the true and living God who is the great I am the God who is and God who has spoken listen I can't trust him and I trust his word but by way of contrast when we're broken in awestruck humility before almighty God just like Isaiah was just like Paul was just like many faithful servants of Christ are even to this day take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. May your mighty hand and outstretched arm go before me, Lord. Lead, guide, and direct the pathway of my life. Because I understand that my, my life is not about me, myself, and I. But it's my favorite subject. That's... Because about us. We want to be at the center of the universe. And the junk that there is not our greatest enemy the junk that out there reason why that's so appealing to us because it's the junk that, that's in our own hearts the darkness of depravity in our hearts hearts us to the junk out there the flesh the world and the devil dear ones are our greatest enemies and so and that's and hence woe is me i am undone and Thanks be to God, his grace is sufficient for our every need, dear ones. And go on in the text, look at what it says here. As far as reverencing the awesome terror of God's holiness. And look at verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us. Why? Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. All mankind were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, dear ones. And the reason why people need to hear of the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign almighty creator of the cosmos. Because regardless of whether or not they've ever heard of God, whether or not they've ever heard of the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God, they're spiritually dead sinners, hell-bound 
dear ones, desperately in need of spiritual life in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness, righteousness, justification, holiness. And listen, if you have the gospel, dear ones, every one of us have a duty-bound stewardship responsibility before God to open up our mouths and speak of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ wherever we are, whatever situation. And Lord, give me wisdom, vision, and courage to be your man, to be your woman, to be the salt and light moral back pressure of the Christian worldview in general and the gospel of grace in particular wherever you have me day by day. I guarantee you, that'll change your life. If that's the posture of your heart, that'll change your life. And I guarantee you, that will electrify your spiritual life. You'll be a different person a year from now. By the grace of God, my family and I, we come back to St. Louis Bible Fellowship. A year from now, two, three, whatever. Whenever there's an invitation, we don't live that far away. You'll be a different person. And thanks be to God. But look what it says right here in verse 15. And that he died for all, though, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. It's not about us. But for him who died for them and rose again. Be faithful to the grace commissioned by releasing the sacrificial love of God's son. And listen, Valentine's was week before last and everything. And it, Lori and I, we, we had a nice... Uh, seafood meal and she says you know i really love you when i go out with, for seafood we had we had we had crab claws and oh it was, it was local we were down in mobile bay area it was good stuff and they had they had the 80s love ballads going and everything and it was you know not all of them were just you know like gag me giving over to sensual lust and everything and, and everything but you know we had a fun time and everything but listen i bring all that up to say because you probably see the same stuff i do you know, the, the type of signs, in this house we, uh, you know, love is love, or the, the love more signs, or be love on, you know, uh, football helmets. Our, our culture does not lo- know what love is. Because people say, oh, you know, even just the, the questionable, oh, he gets us campaign, and all these types of things, and just, and like, like, oh, like, uh, God accepts me the way I am. Listen, we are in Washington, D.C., National Mall, there was a couple like Nigerian guys preaching the gospel at the base of the Lincoln Memorial. I mean, it was for the most part really good. And, and uh, then one point when one of these, uh, these guys say, he was talking about, you know, as far as, uh, you know, sexual integrity issues and everything, he even said, he said, a little more charismatic in their theology and everything. He says, if you're homosexual, come down here and I will exercise the demon of, you know, of that and everything. And a woman over here says, God accepts me the way I am. And I was like, oh boy. It's going to hit the fan now. and just. But point being, I bring all that up to say is people say, oh, God accepts me. That's not true. God doesn't accept us the way we are. God's love is unconditional indeed, but it's not based on who we are. He accepts us despite who we are and enters into our lives by his in his, in his spirit. And by and Christ Jesus invades our life, as it were, takes over our life, and He changes our life from who we are to who He wants us to be, dear ones. And because love, love is action. Love is for others. Love is love is not for me. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. For God so loved the world. The love of God is magnified. Not merely in him accepting anybody and everybody regardless of, you know, they live you know, however they want to live. No, God's love is his mercy and his love collided at the cross with his justice and his righteousness when the wrath of God was satisfied at Calvary. That's the biblical doctrine of justification, or rather propitiation, dear ones. And so, if we're to really understand what love is, love is action, it's sacrificial action. It's for others, but also it's great. It'll transform your life. And love, his, love is in the person and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The culture thinks, like Vody Bauckham says, the culture sees the really the Greco-Roman sensual love myth as really being a, a random, overwhelming, uncontrollable, sensual force that comes and goes on a whim. That's not love. Love is action, dear ones. Because look what it says right here, going on from verse 15. Verse 16, it says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know us no longer. And so be faithfulness to the grace commission is also rooted in rejoicing in the transformed identity of God's people, dear ones. And look at this. And yes, I understand. Oftentimes, as you know, grace dispensationalists oftentimes uh, interpret verse 16 as being, you know, bifurcating, you know, between Christ's earthly ministry and his heavenly ministry today uh, and everything, but that's not necessarily, you know, the, the, be- the most accurate understanding of this text, because look what it says. It says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, a human point of view, dear ones, and listen, when we meet people, we understand that their life is, and the way their life is, and listen, you really can judge a book by its cover. I mean, you really can. Like the Lord Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Just saying. And so when it's important for us to understand people through the lens of the Christian worldview and the word of God, dear ones, understanding that everybody's got stuff in their background. Listen, on my mom's side of the family, my grandparents owned the local biker bar in my hometown. Puke and Doughboy and Baron, all these guys would call my grandma Mom. Ma Williams, and she would sell beer illegally out of her home on a Sunday. Listen, I preached three family funerals on, on that side of the family. And my mom died two years ago. And listen, what an honor it is to level with cousins, second, third cousins, most of which aren't married, you know, many of which have, you know, didn't even finish high school, and just level with them in such a way that, listen, your life can be different It's Jesus Christ that makes the difference, dear ones. But look at this in verse 16. He says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. What did Paul do? He did did not believe that Christ was the Messiah. That Jesus was indeed the anointed one. The fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. But when Christ arrested him on the road to Damascus, he broke down and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He understood. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. He the Christ. And so when we understand who Jesus is, dear ones, it'll change your life. And he will change through in, in through your life and your legacy will change the lives of those that you interact with day by day by pointing them to Christ and to the word of God. 
dear ones. Because look in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what's your position? Sorry, your positional identity. There's a big difference between position and practice. Standing in the state. Our positional identity, that's a reality before God. What's your position? In Christ. And the challenge of our lives is to live in total dependency on God and his word so that the practical reality is an outworking of what God has already done in Christ. That's a lifelong endeavor, dear ones. And I submit to you, yes, glorification will be, be a reality, but I submit to you, dear ones, we will be growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout eternity for the glory of his name. And look at this, it says, therefore, if anyone, verse 17, he is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If we're going to rejoice in the transformed identity of God's people, we, understand, we, need, we must understand, really, foundational truths which the Holy Spirit unpacks in the book of Ephesians. For example, when, in Ephesians chapter 1, talks about the spiritual blessings we have. What's your position? In Christ. When we understand what we have in Christ, it'll liberate your heart and soul from feeling inadequate to face the challenges of life and it will free you up to become who god wants you to become and god wants you to do as well as understanding where you are seated in the heavenly places in christ secure it liberates our heart from feeling inadequate and secure as well as when we understand that we are children of light children of god we were once darkness now you're light in the lord that will liberate your heart from feeling inferior to face the challenges of life no matter what situation you're in, no matter where you go, thanks be to God, you don't arrive on His mighty hand outstretched arm goes before us. And when we do arrive on scene, His grace gives us, that He gives us the grace that we need in Christ Jesus to do what He has called us to do because who He has called us to be in Christ. That's good stuff, amen? And now watch this. Look in verse 18. He says, now all things are of God. All these things have become, all things are of God's salvation is of the Lord, dear ones. We're to, to resound the finished work of God's reconciliation. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, dear ones. Reconciliation presupposes alienation, dear ones. We were all vile, wicked sinners in the sight of a holy God. And because, because of the tension between the already and the not yet, dear ones, in that state, dear ones. Yes, positionally righteous in Christ, forgiven, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But listen, wretched man that I am, Romans chapter 7 bears witness. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And God is faithful to finish what he has started in our lives. But the time is not yet, dear ones. But look what he says in verse 18. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's glorious stuff. All things are of God through Christ. And listen, he's delivered us from the penalty of sin. He's delivering us from the power of sin. And one day he will deliver us from the very presence of sin. And all this is rooted in the reality of who God is and what he has done. And the, the responsibility that he has entrusted to us. Because look what it says. He has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And look at it and expands on it in verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. That doesn't mean that everybody's sins are forgiven. That just means that God, it is, it payday someday is a reality, and he's treasuring up wrath unto the day of wrath, or they are treasuring up wrath unto the day of wrath in, Revelation, in the righteous judgment of God. Revel, Romans chapter 2 bears witness to that. And listen, day 
spiritually dead lost sinners, they will be banished from the presence of God in the lake of fire for all eternity. In the great white throne of judgment, Revelation chapter 2 bears witness to that. And hence the urgency of bringing the gospel into the darkness, dear ones. Because if we have the gospel, we have work to do. Look what it says at the end of verse 19. And it's committed to us the word of reconciliation. And look what it says in verse 19. It says, <clears throat> and is committed, at the end of verse 19, is committed to us. It's also important for us to rightly divide the previous mandates of God vo- God's voice. You know, for example, understanding that God had, has given his people and ages and dispensations past responsibility. For example, rooted in creation as far as the cultural mandate of dominion. By virtue of you and I being created in the Imago Dei. Latin for the image of God. That, that means that we have a stewardship responsibility as agents of dominion to take heed to ourselves to, just as he put Adam and Eve in the garden, to stand and to keep it. They had work to do. And so because we're creating the image of God versus the Imago Gu, you know, from Gu to you by way of the zoo, you, you heard that before? we went to the zoo yesterday that was that was good but because of who god is as creator and we are being created in his image and he defines what it means to be created his in his image as an engendered reality male or female that's what it means to be human dear ones science is real all right just saying as far as genetics and these types of things and that we have a responsibility that is applicable to God's people in all time, even those who know him not, have a responsibility before him because they're created in the image of God. And he is good to even those who know him not. Romans teaches that his goodness is designed to bring those people to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, but also, if we're going to rightly divide the previous mandates of God's voice, we must understand that the Jewish kingdom great commission at the end of the gospel records at the beginning of Acts, that was, that was all part of the prophetic program god's design to reach the nations through israel and the covenants of promise he gave to abraham isaac and jacob and to david but today our grace commission is borderless we don't begin in jerusalem in the jewish kingdom program everything was ethnocentric in judaism today we go forth to the nations in spite of israel and we plant grace churches great church planting Distinctive part of our commission, dear ones, and responsibility. Because look at verse 20, it says, as far as being faithful, so far as redeployment of as grace ambassadors of God's righteousness. Look in verse 820, it says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Through us, God we're pleading through us, we implore you on Christ be reconciled to God. We're representatives of the the sovereign majesty of Almighty God, dear ones. We represent the King of heaven. And we understand. All people have knowledge of God. All people reject that knowledge of God, and they're guilty before God. They're condemned, and all people have a way to be saved from God's wrath. That's the cross, dear ones. And all people must come to God through faith in Christ. All people are the mission field of the church. It's what scholars call the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. Christ died for our sins. And listen, when our Savior cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not able to say, like the psalmist, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Psalm 23. Our Savior walked that road alone. 
He was betrayed by a friend. He was denied by a close confidant. And he was forsaken by the Father. So that we could be brought in, dear ones. That's grace. That's the doctrine of the great exchange. That he took our sin upon himself. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's a gift, dear ones. The price has been paid. But look at this in chapter 6. Look what it says. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. We must reconsider the redemptive stewardship of God's time. In other words, every one of us, there will come a day, we see in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9, 9 and 10, if you look at the bit, you know, back in the chapter, we look there that we will give an account of our lives before the Lord. There will come a day in which our lives will flash before our eyes and the stewardship responsibility of our lives will bear witness. How do we use our time? How do we use our money? How do we use the gifts entrusted to our care? As far as faithfully defending the faith like a soldier, advancing the faith like an athlete, cultivating the faith like a farmer. Every one of us are responsible to redeem the time, dear ones. And this world's priorities, when it says how to use your life and invest your life, it's all centered on you. But listen, the purpose of our lives is not about me, it's about Jesus Christ, dear ones. Remember what Luther said about being gospel-driven? Similarly, Beacon LaBelle said, it's not enough for sacred zeal that we ourselves know the Lord. It's also imperative that all nations and peoples hear of him as he's preached in the gospel. Those who are lost must hear that there is salvation in Christ. Our zeal to promote God's glory by making him known in the world will manifest itself in various ways. It will make us pity the condition of the lost. It will make us lament their slavery to sin. We'll be driven to our knees praying that they may be brought to know the only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. We will be compelled to do all we can for the lost, striving to win those who are near and supporting efforts to win those who are far, believing it to be the highest service we can ever do for our Lord and His glory. But watch this. Some people fear becoming more zealous. Oh, what, 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 what are they going to think? Because it might cost them friends in the world. They think that they might be labeled as overly religious or too different from others. They fear people's opinions more than God's. In the 17th century English Puritan Samuel Ward said, Cowards and cravens stand and look who goes first. But soldiers of courage cast lots for the onset and fore rank, for desperate services and single combats. And they say that lukewarmness stands back and waits for another to take the hill to see whether the reward is worth the fight, the crown worth the, the loss of blood, and the blessing worth the cost. True zeal does not ask what others think. Who will make the sacrifice and whether others will join in? It does not wait for company when duty calls. Instead, it rises up at the clarion call and runs with haste to the captain of the Lord of hosts, saying with Isaiah, Here am I. Send me. What is God Almighty calling you to do? Wherever he leads, guides, and directs, his mighty hand and outstretched arm goes before you. I pray that you will be all in for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever he is compelling you by his grace and his love, with awe and reverence for the glory of his name to do for such a time as this. So Father, we are grateful indeed for who you are and all you've done. And we pray that you would sink these words down into the depths of our heart and do something awesome. Not for our sake. God forbid, by no means but for the glory of all that you are, O oh God.
faithful now and forever in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah.